0: Welcome to another edition of the Christian Faith Radio Hour. This is Davey Canfield, and I'm recording this here in Chicago on Friday, January twelfth, 2024. And it's a good day to be inside recording a podcast because outside we have our first big snow of the season. So far, a few inches. We'll see how much more we get. I think other places are going to get more, but the first time we've had real snow this year. So, as I say, it's a good uh, good day to be inside. And in this program... I want to continue our consideration of the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread that we began in the previous program. And we'll see how far we get. It it just seems there's always so much more to get into when you really start digging into these matters. And in particular, speaking of the difference between being inside and outside as it happens, uh, this morning I was very struck by the difference in the Passover between what takes place outside of the house and what takes place inside of the house. And I think if we're clear about this, it will be a very, very big help to our Christian life. And so I want to spend a good deal of time to go over this particular matter of the difference between these two things. You need them both. You need both what takes place outside the house and what takes place inside the house. But once you have them both and you properly distinguish between the two, then I think we will have a very clear picture of how we can go on in a healthy way in our Christian life. And I'll put a plug in here for my own mailing list because I am planning on sending out a series of notes, email notes, on this same topic on the difference between what goes on outside the house and what goes on within the house. And again, you might find those helpful, so if you want to subscribe to receive those emails, just go to thechristianfaith.org forward slash subscribe and enter your email address there. And I usually send out two or three emails a week. In 2 Timothy 2.15, the Apostle Paul tells Timothy to present himself as a workman who doesn't need to be ashamed because he rightly divides the word of the truth. I think uh, the literal meaning there is to cut straight the word of the truth. And very often it's when we properly distinguish things in the Scripture, that's when the Scripture opens up to us and the truth becomes clear to us. So that's what I want to try to stress this morning in relation to the Passover and in terms of how it applies to our Christian life. And again, I would say if you have your Bible, um, I'd encourage you to open that to Exodus chapter 12 and follow along with me. And of course, as we shared in the previous program, the Passover is just a marvelous, marvelous picture of the redemptive work of Christ and how this becomes something real to us in our experience. In the whole Bible, you don't see such a complete picture anywhere else of what Christ has accomplished on our behalf. And I'll link to that program in the program notes below if you haven't listened to that uh, yet, so you can just access it that way pretty easily. But it, it's just a, a wonderful picture of Christ as our real Passover lamb, and as I shared in the previous program, the New Testament makes it very clear this is a type of the death of Christ on our behalf. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, Paul refers to Christ our Passover. So for sure, this is a picture of the redemptive work of Christ on our behalf. Okay, so now let's look at Exodus chapter 12. I'm reading from the New King James Version, and I'll start with verse 6. Now you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight, and they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat it. So this talks about what's going on outside of the house. The lamb is slain, and the blood of the lamb is put on the doorposts and on the lintel. And the lintel is the top of the the door, the horizontal part at the top of the door. That's where you're supposed to put the blood. That's what's going on outside of the house. Verse 8 tells us what's going on inside the house. Then they shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire, with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs. They shall eat it. So that's what's going on inside the house. They're eating the lamb, taking part in the Passover lamb with the unleavened bread and with the bitter herbs. And now we'll skip down to verse 12. The Lord says, For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood, in in verse 13, Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So, do you see the two distinct things that are taking place here? The blood is on the outside of the house, and based upon God's seeing of the blood, and only upon his seeing of the blood, God passes over the house and does not strike the house with his judgment. It's based upon the blood. That's the only thing that matters. And that, of course, speaks of the death of Christ on our behalf. That's what Christ did for us. But you also have something going on inside the house, and that is what Christ, by the Spirit, is doing within us. What are they doing inside the house? They are feasting on the lamb with the unleavened bread and the bitter herbs. So that speaks of the ongoing work that the Spirit does within us after we are saved. But again, I would stress, these are two distinct things. And the problem is, many Christians mix these things up. They may say, well, we strike the blood on the doorpost, but you have to add in the bitter herbs, and you have to add in uh, the unleavened bread, otherwise it doesn't work. That's not what the picture here says. The only thing that's on the outside of the house is the blood. That's what God cares about when it comes to passing over us in terms of his judgment. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. It doesn't even matter what is our estimation of the blood. It doesn't matter whether or not we see the blood. In a very real sense, it only matters that God sees the blood, and only the blood, and that's what causes his judgment to pass over us. We need the unleavened bread, and we need the bitter herbs, but not in relation to God's judgment passing over us. It doesn't say God's checking inside the house to see if we're eating the Passover in a proper way, that's another matter. He doesn't do that when it comes to his judgment. So a lot of Christians feel, well, I can't be sure my sins are forgiven because you know, unleavened bread signifies the purity of Christ. It's a, Leaven in the Bible always signifies corruption, evil, and sinful things. And maybe I'm not unleavened enough, or maybe I haven't had enough repentance. That's signified by the bitter herbs. So I can't be sure whether or not God's going to pass over me. I have to keep wiping uh, the unleavened bread and wiping the bitter herbs on top of the blood. That's really what they're trying to do. The only thing that matters in terms of our redemption is God seeing the blood. Yes, you need the unleavened bread and you need the bitter herbs, but that relates to how we live the Christian life, not to being passed over in God's judgment. Now, other Christians, they only see really the matter of striking the blood. Once They, they feel once you struck the blood... I don't need anything else. I don't really need the unleavened bread. I don't really need the bitter herbs. Well, to go on with the Lord in a healthy way, you sure do. You're right. It doesn't affect your redemption. But if you're not partaking of Christ in such a way as you see pictured here in the Passover, you're not going to be able to go on with him in a healthy way. So you have to have both. And the reason why I was so convicted about this this morning is I was looking at C.H. McIntosh and his book, Notes on the Pentateuch, which is just a classic study of uh, the first five books of the Old Testament, the books of Moses, and what he has to say about this matter of the relationship between the blood on the outside and the bread and the lamb and the bitter herbs on the inside. So I'm going to read a few passages from his uh, Notes on Exodus here, and just, as I say, very, very good, very, very helpful statements here. So I'm reading here, of course, from his Notes on Exodus chapter 12. Uh, He says, the Passover lamb, as he calls it, the Paschal lamb, I think you would pronounce that. The Passover lamb is the ground of Israel's peace, is a marked and beautiful type of Christ as the ground of the believer's peace. There was nothing to be added to the blood on the lintel, neither is there anything to be added on the blood of the mercy seat. Now there he's talking about the Day of Atonement in Leviticus 16, when the priest went into the holiest of all, the only thing he sprinkled on the mercy seat was, was the blood of the animal that had been sacrificed. Nothing else was sprinkled there, only the blood. And that's exactly what you see here in the Passover. It's only the blood that gets sprinkled. Nothing gets added to that. We have to be so clear about this point, saints. Once we have sprinkled the blood, we do not need anything else to have the assurance our sins are forgiven. We will be be with God for eternity. Anybody who says anything else about that is teaching falsely in a very, very serious and damaging way because it means you can never have the real security, the real steadfastness, a real firm foundation as the basis for your relationship with Christ. Macintosh goes on, "...the unleavened bread and bitter herbs were necessary, but not as forming, either in whole or in part, the ground of peace. They were for the inside of the house and formed the characteristics of the communion there." But the blood of the Lamb was the foundation of everything. Very, very good statement. Now, Macintosh adds to, and I think this is important, because a lot of Christians are uh, confused about this. He adds this comment. I would further remind my reader that the obedient life of Christ is not set forth in Scripture as procuring forgiveness. It was his death upon the cross that opened those everlasting floodgates of love which else should have remained pent up forever. This is a, once we're clear about this, I think we'll have a much firmer standing in terms of our understanding about redemption. A lot of Christians, you know, we said in the uh, previous podcast that they like to eat Christ raw. In uh, verse 9, God specifically tells Moses, the children of Israel were not to eat the, the Passover lamb raw. But when we take Christ only as our example, we feel he, he was so humble, he was so loving, he was so kind, he's He's my example. That means you're taking Christ raw so to speak as your Passover lamb. You think he's your example, but you don't appreciate he had to be roasted in the fire of God's judgment because of our sins. We could never take him apart from God's judgment. But a lot of Christians try to do that, the more modernist type of Christians, more liberal type of Christians. They feel well, he's just he's just a good example for us. And so, and if we have sins, the life he lived based on that basis our sins are forgiven. But in the New Testament, it's very clear. His life did not result in our forgiveness. It was his death on the cross that procured our forgiveness before God. In fact, his life condemned us. That's what Jesus says. In John 15, he's very clear about that. John 15, verse 22. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sinned. But now they have no excuse for their sin. So his coming, by itself, does not result in our forgiveness. It results in our condemnation because now we are without excuse because we didn't listen to Christ. Verse 24, he says, If I had not done among them the works no one else has done, they would not have sinned, but now they have both seen and hated both me and my Father. So his coming by itself does not save us from our sins. What saves us from our sins is his death upon the cross on our behalf. Hebrews 9.22 a very strong statement without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And then, in a few verses later, in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 26, now once at the end of the ages, he has been manifested to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself, not by his human living, by the sacrifice of himself. That is what procured the forgiveness of our sins, just as the type in the Old Testament of the Passover shows it was the shed blood of the Lamb that procured forgiveness of sins, and that shed blood alone. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, Christ himself bore up our sins in his own body on the tree. That's where he paid the price for our sins, was on the tree, on the cross. That's where he procured our forgiveness, and that's what the blood speaks of. You have to be very clear about this point. When we understand that, we'll have a much firmer grasp of the fact that we are redeemed by the blood of Christ. Now, for the sake of those who may not yet be believers in Christ who are listening to this program, I want to be clear, Jesus paid the price on the cross for our sins. That's called redemption. But that payment still has to be applied to our account. And that happens when we believe in Christ and ask him to forgive our sins based on the redemptive work he has already accomplished. And that's signified in the Passover by the Israelites taking a bunch of hyssop, as Moses told them. That's in Exodus chapter 12, verse 22. They were to take a bunch of hyssop and apply the blood to their house, and that's how they got forgiven. And as I said in the previous program, we apply the blood with the hyssop because in the Old Testament, Based on 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 33, hyssop signifies the smallest thing that there is. And yes, that means our faith is just about the smallest thing that there is. But the good news is, as I said before, that means we don't need to apply a lot of faith in order to be saved. Even just a little bit of faith, if we just exercise that faith to apply the blood of Christ then the payment that Christ made on the cross, the payment of redemption will be applied to our account and our sins will be forgiven. Praise the Lord for that. But you have to do that yourself. I can't do that for you. No one else can do that for you. Not your priest, your pastor, your parents, your friends. We can help you and point you in the right direction. But you have to exercise that little bit of faith and just say, Jesus, I just confess I'm a sinner, but I believe you died on the cross for my sins so I could be forgiven, and I just take that little bit of hyssop, I just apply that, use that to apply the blood to my account, so I can be forgiven. Thank you, Jesus, for forgiving me, for making me a child of God. Amen. So I hope you will do that. If you haven't yet opened your heart to the Lord and really prayed to him in that way, call out to the Lord and ask him to forgive your sins. He will do it, and you will be forgiven. Praise the Lord for that. Now further on in Exodus chapter 12, Macintosh talks about what's going on inside the house. We shall now consider the second aspect of the Passover as the center round which the assembly was gathered in peaceful, holy, happy fellowship. Israel saved by the blood was one thing, and Israel feeding on the lamb was quite another. They were saved only by the blood, but the object around which they were gathered was manifestly the roasted lamb. Now, in the previous podcast, what I shared was that the house is a type of Christ. And so what you see in in the Passover is a marvelous picture of what it means to abide in Christ. John chapter 15, verse 4, he says, Abide in me and I in you. Once we're in the house under the covering of the blood, that's abiding in Christ. But once we're in there, what are we doing? We're feasting on the Lamb. We're feeding upon Christ. That's Christ abiding with us, the lamb, abiding within us, excuse me. The Lamb is getting inside of us because we're partaking of Christ. So just a marvelous picture of what it means to abide in Christ. But here, Macintosh is looking at this as a picture of the assembly, as he calls it, the gathering of God's people together. And what we see here is they are gathered together to enjoy the Lamb under the covering of the blood. And again, it's just if you look at it that way, it's also just a marvelous, marvelous picture of the fellowship we have together as the believers in Christ. You know, saints, we're gathered together under the blood of Christ because we're redeemed. And what are we doing? We are feasting upon Christ and just enjoying all the riches of Christ and living a holy life with the unleavened bread and repenting and dealing with all our sins, the bitter herbs. Just a, just a marvelous picture. Now Listen to what McIntosh says about this. Of course, he was writing in the 1800s, so he uses the term the Holy Ghost. Um, I'll, I'll just keep that as I read, but understand he's referring to today what we would call the Holy Spirit. The Holy Ghost can only gather to Christ. He cannot gather to a system, a name, a doctrine, or an ordinance. He gathers to a person, and that person is a glorified Christ in heaven. This must stamp a peculiar character on God's assembly. In other words, to really have a genuine assembly of God's people, what are they gathered to? They're gathered to the person of Christ himself by the work of the Holy Spirit, focused on Christ, feeding on Christ as the Lamb of God. This must stamp a peculiar character on God's assembly. Men may associate on any ground, round any center, or for any object they please, But when the Holy Ghost associates, it is on the ground of accomplished redemption around the person of Christ in order to form a holy dwelling place for God. Just a marvelous picture of the gathering of uh, believers today. What a real gathering, what a real church is. It's a number of God's redeemed people gathered together under the blood of Christ to enjoy Christ as our real Lamb of God. Praise the Lord, saints. such a picture praise the lord even more for such a reality that we have today when we come together as the believers in christ so just to sum up this point outside of the house there's the blood that signifies that outside of us apart from us we have redemption in christ simply by the blood of christ inside the house The Israelites were feasting on the Passover lamb. And that signifies that as the believers in Christ, day by day, we need to be those who are feeding upon Christ and enjoying Christ and gathered together with the other believers around Christ. And it's so important that we don't confuse these two things. On the one hand, we may feel that in order to have redemption, we have to apply the unleavened bread, apply the bitter herbs. But if we do that, if we have that kind of a view, we'll never have the real peace with Christ. But on the other hand, we shouldn't think it's sufficient only to have the blood in terms of our relationship with Christ and going on with Christ in our daily life. For that, we have to have that inward feeding upon Christ and enjoyment of Christ. That's what enables us to go on with Christ in a good way. So we need both of these things, and we need them both in their proper place to have a solid basis for our Christian life and a healthy way to go on with the Lord throughout our entire Christian life. I just want to take a minute to remind the listeners that this program is being produced in connection with my website, which is thechristianfaith.org. I hope you'll visit that. I think there's a number of very useful resources on there to help you with your spiritual growth, with your walk with the Lord, and with your serving of the Lord, and to have a view of what God's purpose is. If you want to subscribe to our e-letter, which we send out a couple times a week, just click on the subscribe link there. And if you'd like to contact us, if you have comments or questions about the program or about the Christian life in general, you can send us a note at notes at thechristianfaith.org. So now we come to the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And this the Lord instituted this right after he instituted the Passover. And in the Bible, these two really go together. In fact, if you look at Exodus chapter 12, verse 14, the Lord tells Moses, This day shall be to you a memorial, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. Well, that's the feast of the Passover. But then in 15, verse 15, the Lord goes on and he goes right into talking about the Feast of Unleavened Bread, he says, seven days you shall eat unleavened bread and the first day you shall remove leaven from your houses for whoever eats leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day that person shall be cut off from Israel. So it seems like here it's saying that the Passover is actually the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And when you go to the New Testament and you look at Luke chapter 22, verse 1, it says, now the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is called the Passover, was at hand. So, very often, the, the Bible really connects these two feasts, and that's quite significant. Now, as we've said before, to understand this, you have to realize leaven in the Bible always, always, always signifies something corrupt, something evil, something improper, something unholy. Now, there is a reference in Matthew, Matthew chapter 13, verse 33, where the Lord talks about a woman leavening three measures of meal, and he says this is what the kingdom of the heavens is like. People mistake that, and they think that's the power of the gospel. No, that would contradict every other use of leaven in the entire Bible, including in the Gospel of Matthew. What the Lord is really talking about there is the corrupting influence of paganism within the church that was introduced by false teachings, especially those of the Roman Catholic Church, and how those have corrupted the church as a whole all through the centuries. That's a topic for another time. That, that, but just to say, that is also a very negative mention of leaven. All through the Bible, leaven signifies something evil, sinful, and corrupt. And so the Feast of Unleavened Bread, to say we have the Feast of Unleavened Bread, means now we are to put away the things that are corrupt, and the things that are unholy, and the things that are sinful. And that's how we can enjoy Christ throughout our entire life. But as I was saying, this feast is absolutely connected with the Passover. You could never have the Feast of Unleavened Bread without the Passover. In other words, we have to really experience the redemptive work of Christ before we can begin even thinking about living a holy life, a life that is pleasing to God. We could never have that. Some people try to do that. They say, I'm going I'm to be, I don't believe Christ died for my sins Uh, I'm some other kind of Christian, I'm kind of maybe a universalist Christian, but I, I like the example of Christ and I'm going to try to live a holy life. You could never do that. You have to have the Feast of Passover before you can really have the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So these two really go together. But the Feast of Passover should issue in the Feast of Unleavened Bread in our experience. Once we are redeemed, then for sure we should begin keeping this Feast of Unleavened Bread, so to speak, living a holy life, feeding upon Christ so that he can express himself in us in a living that is pure and holy and undefiled. But there's also a very positive lesson that we should learn from this, and that is that our life as the believers in Christ should be a life of feasting with the Lord, of just enjoying him and just partaking of him. It's very striking when it talks about this feast, The Lord goes on in verse 16 of Exodus 12. On the first day there shall be a holy convocation, and on the seventh day there shall be a holy convocation for you. No manner of work shall be done on them, but that which every man must eat, that only may be prepared by you. So the Lord does not want our working. Do you know what he wants from us? He wants our feasting. He wants us to feast upon Christ as our roasted lamb, as as our unleavened bread, with the bitter herbs. That's really what he wants from us. It's so easy for us to try to do so much work for the Lord. His thought is, I just want you to feast on Christ with me and enjoy Christ together with me. That is really what's on the Lord's heart. All our working has to be set aside so we can enter into the real enjoyment of Christ. But it's also the, the case that for the Israelites, eating leaven during this time was a very, very serious matter. Verse 15 tells us, Whoever eats leavened bread during the the feast of Passover shall be cut off from Israel. And this indicates that as the believers in Christ, if we partake of the corrupt and sinful things, that is going to cut us off from God's people, from the fellowship of God's people. Now, it doesn't say that this person, therefore the, the destroyer is going to come and get him, that the blood of the Passover lamb doesn't work anymore. He is still a redeemed person. That's not the issue here, but he's cut off from the fellowship of God's people, and he won't make it into the good land. A serious matter, but again, I just want to stress this again and again, what saves us from God's judgment is the blood of Christ. It's not whether or not we're eating leavened bread, so to speak, engaging in the corrupt things. We should not engage in corrupt things. There's a price to pay for that, but it doesn't mean that we are no longer under the redemption of Christ. But it is serious. You're cut off from the fellowship of God's people if we partake of the sinful things, just as an Israelite was cut off from the children of Israel if he partook of leaven during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. You know, the world comes to us in different ways. And as i stressed very much in this series, you have the Egypt signifies the totality of the world system. You know, that's what God wanted to rescue his people out of. And just as in the Old Testament, the children of Israel, he wanted to get them out of the land of Egypt. Today, he wants to get his New Testament people out of Satan's world system. That's what's signified by Egypt outwardly. But you know how else the world comes to us? It's not just as this great world system. The world comes to us as a tiny little leaven. Very often, these, these small corrupting influences, we have to be so careful about them that we don't partake of this type of thing. Very serious matter. Now, it doesn't say in this passage that you have to get rid of all the leaven. And that's significant for a very simple reason. We can't do that. We can never get rid of all the sin that we have in our being, all the corruption. That's not what we're told to get rid of. But what it does say in Exodus chapter 12, verse 19, "...for seven days no leaven shall be found in your houses. Since whoever eats what is leavened, that same person shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel." whether he is a stranger or a native of of the land. And then in the the next chapter, when Moses is talking about the Passover, he says uh, in chapter 13, verse 7, no leavened bread shall be seen among you, nor shall leaven be seen among you in all your quarters. And this is saying it's once the sinful things are exposed, then they need to be dealt with. We shouldn't try to deal with all of our sin, try to find out all of our sins, we can't do that. We're not capable of, to that, of doing that. Until we see the Lord, we are still going to have the sin nature. But when sin is exposed, it has to be dealt with in a very serious way, sometimes a very severe way, so that we can go on with God's people. That's what these passages are showing us, and it is a very serious matter. And this is really what the Apostle John is talking about in his first epistle. In, in that epistle, he, he begins by saying, we've been called into the fellowship of God. Of God's Son, he says, 1 John uh, chapter one verse three, that which we have seen and heard, we declare also to you, that you also may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son Jesus Christ. But one aspect, one thing that can frustrate our fellowship and our participation in this fellowship is sin. And so he goes on later on in this chapter. He says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from every sin. If we say we do not have sin, we are leading ourselves astray and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So this is how We deal with the sin that would otherwise frustrate our fellowship. We confess it before the Lord. We just acknowledge we are sinful, and in a particular matter, we have sinned. And then, as John says in verse 9, 1 John 1, 9, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So that's the the kind of experience we should have in terms of dealing with sin. Of course, he says before that, John says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light. Well, that's because we're in the fellowship of God's Son. There's so much light there, spiritually speaking. But in that light, that's when our sin and our sins is exposed, and that's when it needs to be dealt with and cleansed so we can enter into a deeper experience of being in fellowship with Christ and being in fellowship with all the believers. But if we fail to to deal with our sin in a strict way and in a serious way, it may very well cut us off from the fellowship of God's people, just as partaking of leaven would cut off the children of Israel from being a part of the nation of Israel. Again, it doesn't mean we're going to be condemned to hell, but we lose our fellowship with the Lord and with His people. Now, towards the end of Exodus chapter 12, we come to the ordinance of the Passover, and it's really something. When you're in Leviticus, where you have the offerings in the first five chapters of that book, the basic offerings. After that, you have the law of the offerings. And here in Exodus, you have the Passover, and then you have the ordinance for the Passover. And it just indicates God always does everything in a way that is very, very proper. He's never loose. He's never careless. He's not religious. He's not religious at all. But he is very, very proper. And there's a right way to do things, and there's a wrong way to do things. And so you have the Passover, and then you have the ordinance for how to eat the Passover. And primarily, what you see in the ordinance of the Passover are the regulations regarding who is allowed to eat the Passover. Now, to be clear, when we're talking about who can partake of the Passover, we're not referring to the initial Passover. That was for all the children of Israel, they were all under the blood in the house. What we're talking about here, what the Bible's talking about here, is who can partake of the memorial feast of the Passover. After the first Passover, every other Passover was a memorial of the first one. And so the Lord and Moses are saying here, who has the right as an Israelite to partake of that memorial feast? So spiritually speaking, in the New Testament, that signifies who has the right to partake of Christ and to enjoy Christ in the fellowship of the saints in the light. It's not the question of who can be redeemed. Anyone can be redeemed. But who can partake of the results of redemption in their spiritual experience. So this is in Exodus chapter 12, verse 43. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, this is the ordinance of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat it. So the very first thing is, if you're a foreigner, you're not part of Israel, you are not qualified to eat the Passover. And this indicates for us as believers today that in the body of Christ, there is a fellowship, a very particular fellowship. And not everyone is in that fellowship. If you have not experienced redemption, you do not have any fellowship with the body of Christ. And for sure, you don't have any part in Christ himself. Paul tells us in Second Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, Do not become unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership does righteousness have with lawlessness? And what fellowship does light have with darkness? And what concord does Christ have with Belial? Or what part does a believer have with an unbeliever? So there is a definite demarcation, a separating line between those who are in the body of Christ and those who are not in the body of Christ in terms of our spiritual fellowship. It doesn't mean we don't have anything to do with those who are not a part of the body of Christ. Very often, these are our loved ones, our family members. Of course, we pray and we hope that the Lord would work in them and save them. But spiritually speaking, there's a demarcation, a separating line between the unbelievers and the believers who have experienced the redemption of Christ. Those who are outside the body of Christ cannot really partake of the fellowship. And unfortunately, today in a lot of churches, that line is not that clear between who are the believers and who are the unbelievers, and that's why there's so much corruption, so many false, evil things being promoted uh, in the so-called churches today because these ones who have no real fellowship with Christ, no real fellowship with the body of Christ, somehow claim to be believers, and they often take over these uh, congregations. You see this especially, of course, in the mainline denominations, and they, they promote all sorts of evil, evil, corrupt things. We don't say this to condemn anyone, but we are pointing out a fact. They have no real fellowship with the body of Christ, and that's why they uh, do such things. very, very serious matter for them to do that. Eventually, the judgment upon such ones like that who don't repent will be quite severe. But even we ourselves, we may have the experience of being foreigners if we live by our old nature, our sinful nature. In that sense, them practically speaking... At least while we're doing that, we are living as a foreigner. As in our old man, we also have nothing to do with Christ, and we also have nothing to do with the fellowship of the body of Christ. Whenever we're living according to our old nature, we spontaneously cut ourselves off from that fellowship. That's what this is saying here. No foreigner can partake of the Passover. The only way we partake of the Passover is when we're under the redeeming blood of Christ, feasting on Christ, and living by our new Divine nature. Praise the Lord for that. And we experience this new nature as we live under the cross and feast upon Christ. Now here I'd like to read another quote from uh, Mr. McIntosh, just because I've been so much in his uh, writings today as I've been preparing for this. So many good statements here in his notes on the book of Exodus. This is back in his notes on Exodus chapter 12. He says, Grace not only saves the soul with an everlasting salvation, but it also imparts a nature which delights in everything that belongs to God because it is divine. That's 1 Peter 1.4. We are partakers of the divine nature. Once we believe in Christ, we have a new nature. And as Mr. McIntyre says, it delights in everything that belongs to God. That's the nature we need to live by to really partake of Christ as our Passover. We are made partakers of the divine nature, which cannot sin because it is born of God. Macintosh goes on, to walk in the energy of this nature is, in reality, to keep the feast of unleavened bread. There is no old leaven, nor leaven of malice and wickedness in the new nature, because it is of God, and God is holy, and God is love. Hence it is evident that we do not put away evil from us in order to to better our old nature, really so, which is irremediable, nor yet to obtain a new nature, but because we have it. In other words, because we have the new nature, that's why we put away the evil from among us. Again, another very good statement by Mr. McIntosh. And that's the nature we need to be living by to partake of the Passover, the feast of the Passover, and the feast of unleavened bread. But then the Lord goes on in Exodus chapter 12, verse 44. But every man's servant who is bought for money, when you have circumcised him, then he may eat of it. Verse 45, a sojourner and a hired servant shall not eat it. Okay, so here we see, again, who can and who cannot eat of the Passover. If you're a sojourner, you're a hired servant, you don't get to partake of the Passover, the feast of Passover. You know, if we are those who are just touching the Lord for a little bit, or if we feel we are hired by the Lord to do some work for him, we can't partake of this feast. God's not looking for hired servants. He's not looking for people to work for him. The Apostle Paul, he certainly did not consider himself to be a hired servant of the Lord or sojourner with the Lord. He tells us in Romans chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. That means he was one who'd been purchased. He was a purchased slave, one who really belonged to Christ, and that's why he could serve the Lord as he did. And we should all have that same kind of sense. I'm one who's been purchased by Christ. I just belong to him, and now my life is just just for his sake, just for serving him and for his glory, really so. That's verse 45. In verse 44, the servant who is bought for money, when you have circumcised him, he may eat of it. In other words, it's when we are really redeemed by Christ and we have a deep sense, I belong to Christ now. I am fully redeemed by him. I've been purchased by him. So now I belong to him. That's when we can partake of the Passover. If we are also circumcised circumcision signifies putting off the old nature, putting off all that our flesh would try to do for Christ. Remember Abraham had to be circumcised because he brought forth Ishmael who became a real frustration to God's purpose. So God told him to be circumcised and that was the mark of the Old Testament. That was the separating line between Israel and the world in the Old Testament. In the New Testament the separating line is the cross of Christ. So, when we are under the redemption of Christ, when we are under the cross of Christ, that's when we can partake of the feast of the Passover. Verse 47 All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. This feast is for everyone in the church. Everyone in the church should be keeping the feast of Passover, should be enjoying Christ as our Passover lamb. Verse 48. And when a stranger dwells with you and wants to keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised, and then let him come near and keep it. And he shall be as a native of the land, for no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. So again, it's when we have the putting off of the old man, when we have the real experience of the cross, that's when we can come and partake of the Passover. Before we were a stranger. And even if we're a believer in Christ, but we're living according to our old nature, then again, we're still a stranger to the Passover and to the Lord. But when we deal with our flesh, we deal with our old man, then we're able to come and partake of the Passover once again, partake of Christ as our Lamb, the Lamb of God once again. So then at the end of chapter 13, in verse 51, after they've actually had the Passover, after the Lamb was slain, after the destroying angel went through the land of Egypt and struck down all the firstborn, then in verse 51 It says, And it came to pass on that very same day that the Lord brought the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt according to their armies. And then 13 goes on. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Consecrate to me all the firstborn whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and beast, it is mine. So here you see three things in relation to the Passover. First of all, the children of Israel left Egypt. Secondly, They became the Lord's army. And thirdly, the firstborn were consecrated to the Lord. Now, all these things were based on the fact that the lamb had been slain and that they were under the redeeming blood of Christ. As a result of that, they left Egypt, they became the Lord's army, and they were consecrated to the Lord. And that is the normal experience of every believer in Christ. When we believe in Christ... To go back to what we said in the last uh, episode, at the very very beginning of chapter 12, it says in verse 2, This month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. So we have a new beginning in our life, a new start. Whenever a person believes in Christ, it is really so. They have a new start in their life. And we praise the Lord for that. And the result of that new start, ultimately here at the end of chapter 12, the beginning of chapter 13, it says, We leave Egypt. In other words, we're no longer under Satan's world system and under his authority. We become part of the Lord's army fighting with him to establish his kingdom on the earth, and we are consecrated unto the Lord. That's the normal, natural result of the real experience of the redemption of Christ. That's really what the Passover is all about. Thank the Lord for such a marvelous marvelous picture of what redemption really is. And in Exodus chapter 13, verse 8, the Lord, uh, Moses tells the Israelites, You shall tell your son in that day, saying, This is done. In other words, keeping the Passover. This is done because of what the Lord did for me when I came out from the land of Egypt. So we're not brought out of Egypt. We're not made a, an army unto the Lord. We're not consecrated to the Lord so that we can keep the Passover. We keep these things because of what the Lord has done for us, because we have experienced the Passover. So the more we enter into the real meaning of the redemption of Christ, the more these things are going to become real in our experience. The more we're going to have the experience of leaving Satan's world system behind, the more we're going to have the experience of being formed into an an army, fighting for God's kingdom on the earth, and the more we're going to have the real experience of consecration unto the Lord. So that will do it for this episode of the podcast. It's certainly been very, very helpful for me to get into this matter again of the Passover and just to to see what a picture it is of the redemption of Christ and all that's accomplished on our behalf. And so I hope it's been helpful to you as well. I encourage you to spend time going over these points and looking at Exodus chapter 12 and 13, first part of 13, on these matters. I think you'll also be very, very much helped. But as I say, that will do it for this episode of the podcast. And as the Lord allows, we hope to be back with you again soon. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of the Christian Faith Radio Hour. For more resources, you can visit thechristianfaith.org, which is my website. If you'd like to receive my e-letter, Just click on the subscribe link there and enter your email address. And to connect with us by email, just send us a note at notes at thechristianfaith.org. Until next time, may the Lord keep you in his way for his sake and his glory. In Jesus' name, amen.